3: The GX on Agriculture podcast is brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. When you're in the market for a new Ford, stop by Future Ford for a great selection of new and used vehicles.
4: Future Ford has been serving the Melville area for over 30 years. They focus on the future. Their staff are ready for what's to come. Ford Tech is changing all the time with new vehicle technology like EV, self driving, and more. Get ready to drive into the future. Why?
5: Because the future is Future Ford. GX on Agriculture
3: with Doug Falconer good afternoon and welcome to GX on agriculture coming up on today's program we will have plenty of stories first of all we'll hear some marketing regarding canola and where things are standing right now when it comes to canola and uh, we'll hear from uh, that is uh, Mike Jubinville on that as well Bruce Burnett will join us and he'll talk about where the worst drought conditions are in the world right now and it's not actually too far from Saskatchewan and Manitoba. Some other stories as well, we will be hearing from Kevin Gilbert who was a livestock producer that had attended the APAS Livestock Summit in Saskatoon last week. And we should also have time to talk to Philip Harder, the research associate with the Centre for Hydrology at the University of Saskatchewan And he'll be talking about how many Saskatchewan farmers are in desperate need of moisture this spring and summer to improve their crop yield prospects. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX on Agriculture. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your Remax Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist.
0: Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather.
3: With Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. And Phil, it's mainly sunny here in the Yorkton area and we're finally getting close to our normal high for this time of year.
0: Yeah, we're almost there coming in through the afternoon. We should get there. In fact, uh, some of us will see double digits before the day is out. So definitely uh, not bad. Definitely feeling more like spring. You know, we've had uh, calendar spring for uh, the better part of a couple of weeks, and now actually getting into feeling like spring Totally different things, of course, but uh, the, the latter being, I think, the more important. We're uh, close to 10 this afternoon. Normal high this time of year, 8, so we'll uh, crack it for most areas. The wind is up, though. It's averaging around 30 kilometers per hour. Wind chill at these temperatures not a factor, but just makes it less, almost perfect, not quite perfect. Still a nice day. Uh, some cloud cover rolls in for tonight. Some signs that uh, some of the clouds thick, uh, thickens up to produce a sprinkle toward morning um, not overly concerned for that 20% chance, but uh, the possibility is there. Some sprinkles or some drizzle uh, for those very early morning hours, right around sunrise in particular. Uh, once we get into the mid-morning, that threat is gone. Through the day tomorrow, cloud cover, whatever cloud cover does roll in, departs. We get back into the sunshine through the day. The wind briefly picks back up. Around noontime, we'll be averaging around 20 kilometers per hour, but the temperature coming up pretty close to today's levels, right around 9 for the high. And we'll get another chance for some sprinkles or showers Tuesday night. Just a little better chance. We're still talking very light, using that keyword sprinkles, because that's what most of us that see anything will see, is the sprinkles, uh, throwing in the mention of a shower, because th- some of the sprinkles could be measurable, uh, a, a millimeter or two for the most uh, extreme showers. Temperature dropping back to around zero, not concerned for a changeover in spite of that temperature. Uh, the uh, temperature likely actually begins to rise a bit if any cloud cover does come in or will hold steady. We'll get back to 6 degrees during the day on Wednesday. Any shower threat gone by morning. One more pass through in the afternoon. In fact, there is even a better chance in the afternoon for a passing sprinkle. 6 degrees is the high. I've mentioned uh, sprinkles and showers three times. If any of us get more than a millimeter or two from any of these, uh, it will be a lot. Most of us seeing almost nothing from these. Uh, temperatures getting back to around 8 degrees on Thursday, partly sunny sky. Let's mention that word again on Friday. Why not? Same idea. Sprinkle. Maybe a passing shower on Friday. Just can't get into a dry air mass, but overall quiet and overall seasonable. Pretty close to that normal. 7 degrees at the high on Friday. And uh, just looking at next weekend, because I like what I see, it's a lot of uh, temperatures in double digits through next week.
3: That's Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. Temperatures around the region this hour the Paw is at nine degrees, Swan River, seven, Dauphin, 13, Brandon and Roblin, five, Show Lake Russell, eight. Regina reporting in at four degrees. Saskatoon-Winyard-Wadena-Kelvington, 7, Hudson Bay, 11, Broadview-Mooseman, 9, Indian Head, 5. The Yorkton-Melville region has a sunny sky, a west-southwest wind at 22 kilometres an hour. 68% is the relative humidity. The temperature is 6 degrees. Yesterday, Yorkton reached a high of 6 degrees and dropped to a low of minus 4 degrees. There was no precipitation recorded in the 24-hour period ending at midnight last night. The normal high for this date was plus 8 degrees. The normal low is minus 4 degrees. The sun rose in Yorkton at 6.06 this morning and it will set at 7.38 tonight. Extreme temperatures for Manitoba and Saskatchewan yesterday. The Manitoba hotspot was McCreary at 15 degrees. The cold spot was Carmen at minus 10 degrees. The Saskatchewan spot yesterday was Maple Creek at 17 degrees. The cold spot was Prince Albert at minus 8 degrees. Welcome back to GX Agriculture. Farmers hoping for a return to canola prices in the high teens will likely be disappointed. Mike Jubinville is the senior market analyst with Markets Farm and he spoke to producers on a webinar on Thursday. The sharp drop in canola prices caught more than a few people off guard last month. Just in March we saw you know, what I termed the March massacre
4: where we dropped about $100 a ton in a very short period of time on those futures Uh, to us those losses at the time that they were occurring seemed well overdone and we are seeing uh, elements of a corrective rebound in the process you know backed off here in the last two days but uh, still these macroeconomic worries that linger out there and create a bit of a a wet blanket on rally potential not just on canola but i think for all commodities
3: following the webinar producers were able to ask questions The first one was whether Jubinville thought there was any chance that old crop canola could return to $20 a bushel.
4: Do I think canola $20 opportunity is there? Honestly, I don't think so. Would love to see it, but it's going to require something of significance, and especially uh, a real rebound in terms of uh, vegetable oil markets worldwide, which have been under some pressure. So we're going to need some threat on the vegetable oil side to really re-energize, I think, our canola market and re-energize what has been, you know, a lackluster and trending down European rapeseed market, again, compounded by the excess supplies of Australian product, which is coming in there. So. Uh, there is that dampening effect that is at play. Uh, again, the domestic crush side of thing is going to be going gangbusters throughout the rest of the market year. It's that export side that I I wonder sometimes how much you know we're going to be able to compete aggressively into the Chinese market and they are significant buyers, but we're losing ground it seems on other buyers that are seeing cheaper product elsewhere, whether it's from Australia or elsewhere. Uh, so that is going to be the, the that limiting influence. Twenty dollars seems too high not without some reintroduction of a a new bullish catalyst and i don't know maybe that wild card of an inflamed black sea region that uh, catches fire in that war you know could inspire that uh, re-emergence of risk premium in all marketplaces but it's just too
3: impossible to predict that at this stage mike jubinville is a senior analyst with markets farm Producers on the webinar were asked if rising production costs were going to change the intentions to seed canola. 60% said they will seed their intended area. 31% indicated input costs would lower their canola area, while 9% are planning to seed even more canola. Meanwhile, the global crop in the greatest peril right now, is hard red winter wheat in the southern plains states of Texas, Oklahoma and Kansas. Bruce Burnett is a crops and weather expert with Markets Farm.
5: I would say the mother of all droughts around the world is actually down in the southern plains of the U.S. Crop conditions are really, really bad. 60-day percent of normals from, call it, central Kansas down into the Texas panhandle, western Oklahoma. Those areas have received between 10 and 50% of normal precipitation. So you can find some weather stations in western Kansas in the panhandles here that have not received more than half an inch of precipitation since last July.
3: The wind is also an issue.
5: We had another week of heavy winds go through the area. This week, Delhart, Texas, which is which is sort of in the heart of the Texas panhandle growing area had 8% humidity and was receiving winds uh, 40 to 50 miles an hour. Of course, we saw a lot of blowing dust. There
3: were blowing dust advisories. Burnett expects some of the U.S. hard red winter wheat will eventually just be abandoned.
5: These farmers planted a lot of wheat last year. There was an increase in the winter wheat area, and a lot of it was uh, from the southern plains. But the question now is how much is the, of this wheat going to survive. Abandonment rates are usually around 80-85% in Kansas. I think we're going to be mostly in the 70-75% range. A lot of farmers are just essentially going to give up on the crop and take crop insurance on it because uh, in some cases the crop doesn't exist anymore. The wheat's just been blown out.
3: As of last Tuesday, the USDA said 16% were good to excellent and 15% was poor to very poor in Kansas. Kansas accounts for 45% of U.S. hard red winter production. GX94, AgriView. Ottawa and Manitoba have announced $221 million for strategic agricultural initiatives in Manitoba under the new Sustainable Canadian Agricultural Partnership. The sustainable cap is a five year, $3.5 billion investment by Canada's federal, provincial, and territorial governments that supports Canada's agri-food and agri-products sectors. This includes $1 billion in federal programs and activities and a $2.5 billion commitment that is cost-shared 60% federally and 40% provincially-territorially for programs that are designed and delivered by provinces and territories. The Manitoba government has launched a suite of programs under the Sustainable Cap Framework that will help the sector reach its full potential by expanding business opportunities, investing in sustainable practices throughout the sector, and strengthening resiliency of the entire food chain. These programs were developed through significant consultation with industry partners who highlighted a number of priority areas, including research innovation and market development, emergency preparedness, and technology advancement. A CN train loaded with grain derailed near Edmonton last week. The derailment occurred early Wednesday morning just east of Sherwood Park. In all 17 cars derailed and all were carrying grain. If all 17 derailed cars spilled all their grain, that's about 64,328 bushels of wheat, or 77,197 bushels of canola. Investigators were still on the scene last week, but trains started to move through the area on Thursday. CN and CP Rail supplied a combined 96% of hopper cars ordered in Grain Week 35, an improvement from the previous week's 93%, and the best performance seen for the two railways combined since Week 2 in early August. The improvement reflects improved performance for each of CN and CP. In supplying 96% of hopper cars ordered on time in week 35, CN's performance improved from the 94% order fulfillment performance seen in week 34. This marks the fourth consecutive week that CN has supplied 90% or more of cars ordered in a week. That's only the second time in this grain year that CN has achieved this milestone, the first time being in weeks three to six. CP order fulfillment performance also improved, with the railway supplying 95% of cars ordered. CP order fulfillment performance has now been 90% or better for three consecutive weeks, the first time the railway has achieved this since weeks three to five in August. We won't know until the end of April at the earliest, what will become of Winnipeg pea and canola-based protein processor Merritt Functional Foods. Merritt, whose major shareholders include Vancouver plant-based protein firm Burcon Nutriscience, U.S. agri-food firm Bunge, and former executives of Hemp Oil Canada, was placed into receivership on March 1st. According to the first report from receiver Price Waterhouse Coopers, filed with Court of Kings Bench in Winnipeg, A data room has already been set up and an information brochure circulated to some prospective buyers. In its report, the receiver says it will accept qualified offers for Merit's assets until 4 p.m. Central Time on April 21st and expects to determine the accepted offer by April 28th. A definitive agreement would then be reached by no later than May 12th, court approval granted by May 26th, and a deal closed by not later than May 31st. Burcon, which has a 31.6% stake in Merit, has already announced it will bid on the Merit assets. Russia's top diplomat says Moscow may pull out of a deal that allows the export of Ukrainian grain to global markets.
5: Turkey's foreign minister Mevlut Shavasholu
4: says the grain agreement should continue. This isn't important only for the export of Ukrainian and Russian grain and fertilizer, but also in terms of the global food crisis and to reduce the problem every household in the world is experiencing, he says. Shavasholu adds he agreed with Russia's Sergey Lavrov that obstacles preventing the export of Russian grains and fertilizers needed to be removed. In turn, Lavrov said, if the grain deal isn't extended, Russia could cooperate directly with Turkey and Qatar to ensure
3: continuing grain exports to the countries that need grain. I'm Charles DeLadesma, and that's today's Ag review. Please stay tuned. Gx and Agriculture will return in 60 seconds time welcome back to GX on agriculture I'm Doug Falconer it's sunny and six degrees in the Yorkton Melville region I'll have your complete weather details coming up at the top of the hour a livestock producer from the Cypress Hills spoke at the APAS livestock summit in Saskatoon last week Kevin Gilbert says the different livestock groups need to work more closely
6: together. I went to school in Alberta after I graduated. I got into the feeding industry, started building feedlots, helping construct feedlots and and uh, getting them going. And of course in 2003 BSE, I moved back to the family farm, which is in the Cypress Hills, uh, to continue what I was, had been doing in the livestock industry, adding you know, back into the cow calf operation. So all sectors of the industry, uh, grain production. I guess I've been thinking about this for a long time. I've been involved with with A years ago and different organizations like uh, Saskatchewan cattle feeders. I think what I'm very impressed with with what's going on in the last couple of days. There's a, a huge amount of good information. Uh, I, I think. What I want to come out of this meeting is that everybody sitting here wants to go forward and do better. Um, it doesn't matter if you're a grain producer, or a livestock producer, or your cow-calf producer, or your feedlot operator, or you're in food production. Like I was really glad to see a representative from A W here. Two messages I think need to come out of this. One is communication. There is not enough communication between all our groups or the government. And part of that maybe is we're not we're, we need to bring more young people in uh, just more participation in in groups like this and just more communication talk to everybody and the the other the other thing that I think is partnership we're all trying to do the same thing we're trying to you know increase environmental awareness we're trying to increase our soil We're we're trying to you know produce the healthiest um, tastiest animals that there is out there. I think we've got to do a better job of building up each other's sectors. We're as a cow calf producer and a feedlot. I'm, and, and there's people out here that maybe are not both. We're not competing against each other. We're we're competing for each other. The the more beef that's consumed, the more calves that are grown. It, it helps everyone. So uh, I guess that's a, a very important message. I think. We should have going forward, and even in the grain sector also, I mean we're helping the grain sector as a livestock industry, you know, getting rid of grains that are not suitable for human consumption but but I think we have to be cognizant of the the fact that we should be building each sector up, not not being having a negative comment about like a feedlot you know negative comment to packing plants or or cow calf guys, negative comments about. Or, or a big one, grass-fed against grain-fed. Both are nutritional. Like, let's, as you know, I, I feed grain. Gra- grass-fed beef is excellent. It's, it's you know, there's, there's place for everything. Um, and this, this carries on to, and, and I'm not sure if she's still here yet, but even in, our, even in our food sales or production, the message should be positive, not negative. Like, it's not a competition that, oh, we're producing grass-fed beef. That's way better than the grain-fed beef. That, that actually hurts the whole industry. We want to be positive and, and build the, all the industries together and, and, you know, coming together and having an SCA here and, and as many organizations that, are, that showed up, I think we can build off that and, and go forward and, and just keep the conversation going.
3: Kevin Gilbert is a livestock producer from the Cypress Hills area. He was speaking last week at the APAS Livestock Summit in Saskatoon livestock market conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for June closed at 163.70 today, that's up 60. August live cattle closed at 162.90, also up 60. May feeder cattle closed at 205.62, up 22. August feeder cattle Closed at 223 even, up 40. May lean hogs closed at 8285, up 65. June lean hogs closed at 8915, up 97. And that's the livestock market conditions. Many Saskatchewan farmers are in desperate need of moisture this spring and summer to improve their crop yield prospects. Philip Harder is a research associate with the Centre for Hydrology at the University of Saskatchewan. He explains how a farmer can do their own snow survey.
7: If you want to know how much snow is on your landscape, there's not a lot of models or remote sensing that can give a really good answer that actually reflects what's happening in your local situation, unfortunately. As I've said, snow blowing snow is very sensitive to your particular crop stubble, and your particular weather patterns that you've experienced that year. So to do the best job of capturing what's going on, you need to do a snow survey. And so this is basically com- doing sort of coincident measurements of snow depth and density. There's a couple of principles that you want to kind of apply. You have to find a part of your field or your area that you think is representative for what you want to understand. And you need to go for a walk. Get your rulers, pick a transect. If you wanna track it over time, you know, identify it with some stakes. Every three paces, take a measurement and do that for at least 100 meters. Every five to 10 of your depths, you wanna take a density measurement. And so, density is basically, we wanna take a known volume of snow. So, I have a snow tube, I bore it through the snowpack, I get the cylinder, I measure the length of that cylinder, so I get a known volume. And then I weigh that bit of snow. And then water has a wonderful constant density. So divide by that, and we get sort of the percent water content of our snow. Fresh snow, it starts off at around approximately 10% water. Um, by the time we hit snow melt, we generally expect to see on the order of 30 to 35% water in our snowpack. Density is is can be fairly uniform, but it's not constant. So it it can vary with depth. And so we need to take a bunch of densities at different depths, kind of get that relationship sorted out. And then we sort of pull that together um, with our depths and then we can get kind of a, a sense of the, the average snow water equivalent on our landscape. Um, it's a lot of unit conversion at the end of the day. I've got a spreadsheet that I often share with people who are interested. That's I think on my website or You can, I can send it to you. It's basically go out, get some exercise, measure the snow depth, get some snow densities. That is the way that you can get a good sense of water on your landscape.
3: Harder then looks ahead to the 2023 growing season.
7: It's been a tough couple of years, especially on the more Western side of the province in Saskatchewan here. What I'm seeing out my window is kind of a repeat of the last two years we went into winter dry if anything we went into dry winter drier this last year than the year before um, that heat dome killed off the crops early on and actually didn't use us up as much of that soil moisture that was there. It's kind of a bit of a Groundhog Day situation. We went from dry, unfrozen soils to basically instant winter for most of the region. We've got a decent snowpack and it's dry beneath. So I expect that we're gonna have a very good soil infiltration for the most part, there will be variations in that obviously. And so, yeah, I see that we will have a base of moisture that will sustain a good portion of crop growth. It's still going to depend a lot upon getting that rainfall to keep things going. Things change quickly. like Look at Manitoba last year. You know, they went from a record drug for themselves to flooding. No one can predict that with accuracy here. I think we're set up well for the prairies. Water deficit is a consistent thing. This isn't new to anyone, and it's not going to change. <laughs> you know, water will be a limiter, but I think we're not completely hooped because we've got such high infiltration potential at the moment.
3: He outlines the ideal situation for the snow moisture to infiltrate into the ground
7: sure we've got snow on the ground but snow on the ground is not equal water in the ground Um, and so that transition is quite critical to you know a significant portion of our, our soil moisture recharge you have to kind of think about it in terms of frozen soil infiltration processes so the ideal situation is we had a dry empty soil column in fall the transition from fall to winter didn't leave any sort of soil saturation at the surface we don't have any saturated layer there's many portions of down towards Moostra where they had a big dump and melt right at the beginning that this could be a common page factor, but no matter how dry it is beneath, if you have a saturated layer at the surface, not really much is going to be getting through. Yeah, the ideal situation is, number one, things are dry. Uh, number two, we have snow, which for the most part we do. And number three, the melt needs to be slow. The longer the melt, the more opportunity it is for snow to get into the soil. That's a bit interesting. The physics behind snowmelt can give you all sorts of outcomes. The later the melt, the faster the melt. It's kind of this thread the line. The later the melt, the faster the melt, the more runoff. But you're going to have a shorter period between snowmelt and seeding. Ideally, we would start melting around now, uh, when the sun is not quite as high in the sky, so We don't have quite as much solar radiation hitting things to drive melt in in an aggressive way. And yeah, and when melt does happen, we want it to be slow. We want things to melt during the day and then at least partially refreeze at night so it gives a chance for, you know, the soil to observe what happened. When we have rapid melt where we have sustained days of, uh, you know, above zero temperatures day and night, things can go very quickly. And that's when we have those intense snowmelt runoff events.
3: Harder offers his advice for maximizing moisture during spring seeding.
7: Well, it's hard as a hydrologist. I I tend to think about this sort of long-term thing. And so one piece, any advice I give probably is not going to make any difference to the upcoming season. I guess the advice I have is there's a lot of pressures in your decision-making in terms of logistics in terms of the economics and agronomy and nutrient management, there's all these big factors and there's a lot of financial consequences to those ones. I guess my advice, and and, I'm not saying that this is gonna be anything groundbreaking, but as you are managing your surface, you're also managing the hydrology. That is going to be a really big factor in your outcomes. And so a lot of agronomy, you know, a lot of crop science and stuff, it's all about trying to like tweak those little bits over the long term. At the end of the day, for most of the prairies, we're water limited. What you do in terms of your water management, which is basically what this is, can have large implications on an interannual basis. There's some work from back in the day down towards Swift Current uh, from the A Canada group there. At one point, they, they were showing 50 to 75% of the variability in your crop production was a function of the water. It wasn't the nutrient management. It wasn't the um, agronomy, that kind of stuff. That was that was important for that 25 to occasionally 50%. But water is going to be this thing that chronically will be there. So you can't lose sight of that.
3: And he goes on to explain what he's working on now.
7: What I'm working on is basically trying to come up with some uh, a modeling tool that connects cold regions, hydrology, snow, and, and crop production for the prairies. Like, we like to go out and measure everything we possibly can, but that's impossible. So we tend to, as a hydrologist, we, we take all our observations and all of them Into um, hydrological models, and then we can start playing around. So, within that work, I'm trying to hopefully get to the point where we can start evaluating the implications of different crop management practices um, in terms of, say, crop water use optimization, all that kind of stuff. So, you know. In what year does it make sense to maximize residues? In what year does it make sense to work on your stubble? And and can we predict those things? So that's the immediate I've been working on through the Global Water Futures Program at the U of S here for the last number of years. And it's been great, but like all research projects, they do come to an end. Um, and so, yeah, you know, the future after that is there's there's still a bunch of question marks. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, I'm hoping that I can keep working on these things because yeah, water and agriculture they are intrinsically related, and it's going to be key to manage the extremes that we experience on on a regular basis and and any changes that are to come.
3: Philip Harder is a research associate with the Center for Hydrology. At the University of Saskatchewan. He was a guest on Sask Wheat's Wheat Profit podcast. Please stay tuned. Your commodities update is coming up in one minute's time. Commodities update. Canola futures closed up across the board today. May canola closed at $774 per metric ton, up $2.60. July canola closed at seven hundred fifty three thirty up five dollars thirty cents. May Minneapolis wheat closed at eight hundred seventy five per bushel, up three cents. May Kansas City wheat closed at eight hundred seventy six per bushel up eleven and a half cents. May Chicago wheat closed at six hundred seventy eight and a half up three cents. May corn closed at 654 per bushel up 10 and a half cents. May soybeans closed at 1487 and a quarter down 5 and a quarter cents. May oats closed at 340 and a half up a quarter of a cent. And that's the commodities update. Attendees at the APAS Livestock Summit in Saskatoon last week heard from a man heavily involved in the Saskatchewan Bison Association. Merrick Wigness has a bison ranch in the Cadillac area south of Swift Current.
2: We run about 3,000 acres. It's about half native grass. Um, We we try to use the strengths of the bison, which, you know, they're a very tough animal. So we we extend our uh, grazing season pretty far. So... Uh, some of our herds are grazing over eleven months of the year, which uh, is pretty cool. I think. As far as uh, this event uh, today, I, I'd say, like, it, it's a really uh, perfect venue and an opportunity to talk about, you know, all the the shared ground that all the different grazing animals have, like cattle, of course, being the dominant one. But you know, the bison, sheep. Uh, you know, there's some important topics that I think we we definitely all agree on, and. Dr. Bork here was bringing up some really good topics. And so the thing that really concerns me is, like, the vilification of cattle, especially in, like, urban areas and younger generations and how they, they're they basically told in school, well, if you want to do the right thing for the environment, you stop eating beef, which is, uh, you know, where is that message coming from? Like, it's sophisticated uh, public relations work done by... Bill Gates or whoever it is, <laughs> like pushing these messages, right? But uh, I, and I know there's been some effort, like there's a whole egg advocacy uh, movement where farmers should talk about like their operations to consumers and try and get the message out that way. But I kind of wonder if there isn't an opportunity for some of the grazing animal associations to get together and create some sort of a pooled fund, and and put that money towards, like, a sophisticated PR effort to try and, like, fight back against the the message that cattle are evil or bison are you know, their burps are going to destroy the world or whatever. So, um, you know, we have some good messages that we can push out about biodiversity is a big one. Um, there's a well-known bison rancher in the States who says that biodiversity is his main product. It's not animal meat. It's, like he says it's biodiversity which is maybe a bit out there but but still uh, pushing that message of the importance of grazing animals to the health of grasslands and how uh, you know it, it's absolutely necessary for a healthy environment and you know it, it seems like that message is is not getting out and i kind of wonder if the animal associations could do a better job of of maybe like a professional pr approach to try and enter the Twitter battles over, you know, some of these policy debates. Merrick Wigness is a bison
3: rancher in southwestern Saskatchewan. He spoke at the Pass Livestock Summit in Saskatoon last week. Please stay tuned. Your Farm Bulletin Board is coming up next. Farm Bulletin Board. The Yorkton 4-H Spring Steer and Heifer Show will be held this weekend on the Yorkton Exhibition Grounds. Kiera Horlock is on the 4-H Advisory Council.
1: Well, we're going to move in on Wednesday, getting all of our animals there, getting them all settled in. Then on Thursday, we're going to have a judging demo and a judging day with some grooming, which will be good for some of the younger members also to learn the new or learn about grooming if they haven't before. There'll be some team grooming which they can work with other members like seniors, intermediates, juniors and clover buds. So that'll be good for everyone to put their techniques and their, everything they've learned together as a team. And then the show will start on Friday with the jackpot show and then you can showcase all your uh, animals, peppers and steers. That will start at 2.30. And then The 4-H show will start at 9 a.m. on Saturday.
3: She's expecting 4-H members from Saskatchewan and Manitoba to attend.
1: Yeah, it should be a good turnout. We had about 100 animals there last year, and I think we're expecting the same this year, which is a really great turnout for a spring show.
3: Hauerluck says the judges will have a tough job to do.
1: Well, we have the Orton Exhibition. Of course, Barb will get all of her members from New York to next to see who they would like to judge our shows and she always does a great job finding great people to judge our shows. They could be local, they could be far away. It's really all up to them to decide who they would like but they're always great every year.
3: She says the public is welcome to attend any portion of the show.
1: Well there's a the spring expo that they can also check out but they can also just come out and check out the show. There shouldn't be any cost. You can just come on and Check it out. There should be a lot of 4-H members from all over and Like you said, Manitoban, it should be a really great spring show to showcase their animals for upcoming, uh, for their uh, shows in July, and that should be a really good thing to showcase.
3: Howard Luck notes she's a member of a 4-H club not far from Yorkton.
1: From the sheho ho Beef Club, we've got around 15 members, and almost all of us are going to be attending, which is great. We love... What we do, we love learning new things, and this is just a great thing to show our new members as well to learn new aspects of courage that they would have never thought about learning before.
3: And she's pleased that there's no more COVID restrictions in place this year.
1: Oh, that's a great thing, because we had our uh, regional show, in York. well, the York Yorkton exhibition had their chuck wagon races and their fair in the summer, and that was a great turnout as well, so that just makes it even better for people to see this all going on again.
3: That's Kiera Harluck with the 4-H Advisory Council. The 4-H Spring Steer and Heifer Show runs from Thursday through Saturday on the Yorkton Exhibition Grounds. And be sure to listen to the latest GX on Agriculture podcast. It's brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. And that's today's Farm Bulletin Board. It's time now to check the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast for the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay-Swan River, broadview Mooseman, indian Head, and Yorkton-Melville-Roblin-Russell regions today. Partly to mainly sunny, winds west-southwest at 20 to 35, and a high of 10. For tonight, increasing cloud, winds southwest at 10 to 20, a low of zero, then rising. For tomorrow, early cloud turning to sunshine. Winds east-southeast at 15 to 25, a high of 9 and a low of 0. For Wednesday, partly sunny with a 40% chance of showers. Winds west-northwest at 20 to 40, a high of 6. For Thursday, mainly sunny, a high of 8. And Friday, partly sunny with a 30% chance of a late shower or sprinkle, a high of 7. In the Paw, it's 9 degrees, Swan River is at 7, Dauphin 13, Brandon and Roblin 5, Show Lake Russell 8. Regina reporting in at 4 degrees, Saskatoon, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington 7, Hudson Bay 11, Broadview Mooseman 9, Indian Head 5. The Yorkton-Melville region has a sunny sky. A west-southwest wind at 22 kilometres an hour. 68% is the relative humidity. The temperature is 6 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for GX on Agriculture for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 Saskatchewan time for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines. The GX on Agriculture podcast has been brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. When you're in the market for a new Ford, stop by Future Ford for a great selection of new and used vehicles.